This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. My name is Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. My daughter isn't letting me forget for a second how many days there are until Christmas, nor does the calendar for this show. I'm still getting pitches for interesting music and musicians, and I'm not going to get to some of them until after the holidays. Today's show will continue the conversation I started last week with singer and actress Kristen Chenoweth. It will also include country singer Ronnie Millsap and guitar hero Paul Gilbert. We'll get to them in a minute, but as I said, I'm getting some good stuff that I want to draw your attention to. After Christmas, I'm going to interview New Orleans jazz vocalist Meryl Zimmerman, who recently released her second album, A Very Meryl Christmas. Meryl and I both teach at Loyola University here in New Orleans, but I'd have interviewed her and drawn attention to the album, even if I didn't, because I really like it. One of my favorite tracks on first listen is this take of Deck the Halls in 7-8 Time. Switching time signatures on Christmas classics is a common way to find something new in a very familiar piece of music, and that really happens here. So, this is Meryl Zimmerman and Deck the Halls from A Very Meryl Christmas. Another EP that I rather like this season is Another Christmas, Volume 2, from the Revanche family. Revanche Records is a label based in Amsterdam, and I'm going to be talking to someone from the label about the EP and Christmas music next week for airing after Christmas. I like the acoustic-based music here, including this cover of John Prine's Christmas in Prison by Aiden in the Wild, Lewin, and the Revanche family. It was Christmas in prison The food was real good We had tofu and pistols Carved out of wood And I dream of it always Even when I don't dream And names on my tongue And blood's in my stream Wait a while Eternity Oh, Mother Nature's got nothing on me. Come to me. Finally, no one dies from too much happiness in loose cattle songs. The New Orleans based Americana group released Seasonal Affective Disorder in 2017, selecting some of the less cheerful Christmas songs and retooling some songs not initially thought of as Christmas songs for the holidays. They were an early guest on 12 Songs, and I will include a link to that episode in the show notes. This year, they recorded a version of Neil Young's Star of Bethlehem that will be out on Friday on all the major digital providers, including their Bandcamp page, which is the best place to buy it since Bandcamp gives the band the biggest piece of the action. If you're in New Orleans, Loose Cattle will play its holiday show with millions of musical guests, really, on Saturday night at the Broadside. If you're in town, it will be a good night. Ain't it hard when you wake up in the morning And you find out that those other days are gone All you have is memories 
last week, I talked to Broadway performer Kristen Chenoweth about singing a duet with Nat King Cole on the new A Sentimental Christmas album. She also has her own new Christmas album, Happiness Is Christmas. It's her second, following 2008's A Lovely Way to Spend Christmas. Both were produced by Jay Landers, who produced the Nat King Cole Project. And today, she'll talk about both of them and her relationship to Christmas music on 12 Songs. Mr. Kringle is soon gonna jingle The bells that'll tingle all your travels away Everybody's waiting for the man with a bag Cause Christmas is coming again He's got a sleigh full, it's not gonna stay full He's What role did Christmas music play in your holidays growing up? I think probably the very first thing I remember was Christmas music um, in my house, Christmas is a big deal. And, and I think we started listening to Christmas on Thanksgiving. I never think it's too early. People say, when is it time? I'm like, now, now, start now. Don't start with me. Start with Nat and, and obviously, um, Frank and Tony and then go down to Judy and then eventually come to me, but, but don't definitely start with the greats of a time. Again, when lyric was so important, when the lyrics were so important. And uh, we, you know, my mother and father are not musicians, but they love music. So thank goodness for me, I, I listened to Bernstein as well as Willie Nelson. And, you know, wow. we had a wide scape of what we heard. And that went into my, my bones, into my DNA. And I'm so glad they were that way because... I think that's why I love all kinds of music because of what I heard and Christmas time, you know, everybody's got a Christmas album. I've now got two. And even if you don't believe in Christmas for, you know, what we, what I believe in and for it, you can't help but smile. You can't help but go, this is the most wonderful time of the year. People get a little kinder, a little bit more aware. And I think with the past two years of Christmas being canceled, so to speak, we're ready for it. We need it, in fact. Yeah. yeah, I think that's true. When Do you think that singing Christmas songs as a young person had any, any role in sort of turning on the light to realize there might be a future in this and that, that this might be something you could end up doing as you, uh, as you get older? Yes, for sure. Um, I grew up singing in church. And of course, Christmas and Easter are the biggest times of our, you know, year. Um, I remember I have to be straight here of a huge musical influence in my life. Because I grew up in the church and I grew up with um, singers of Christian music, Sandy Patty. Um, I remember all of her Christmas albums. And for your listenership, if you don't know who Sandy Patty is, you should find out. Because that was the first time I went, oh, she's also singing what she means. And we happen to believe the same. And so growing up in church, getting up there and singing, you know, Christmas music and seeing that it, it struck, it, it, it stuck and it struck people in a good way and feeling the spirit, so to speak. That's when I, 
I knew the power of music, not just my beliefs and what I thought, but the power of music. And it, it began with, you know, singers such as Cindy Patty and just please everyone get to know her <laughs> Christmas albums and Amy Grant. Yeah. You know, these were huge influences on me musically. Huge. Lies far beyond what she can see, and with the sunrise, she runs to rainbows searching for a dream. You mentioned your that you have two Christmas albums, your first and 2008, uh, A Lovely Way to Spend Christmas. What made yes. you decide to do a Christmas album at that point? Well, I always wanted to, and I thought, if I don't, then why? who? I mean, <laughs> I love Christmas. Um, and that's when I first met Jay, and he was uh, so on board. And uh, I was so funny. It was so funny going back with him. I wanted to do all this, you know, so to speak, Jesus was born and, you know, Mary's journey. And he said, you know, Chris, Christmas, Kristen, let's make a Christmas album for everybody. And he really taught me that I need to have other music on there of a time, you know, like we recorded, um, I'll be home for Christmas, obviously. And I'd never heard Christmas Island and Christmas Island is hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, the sleigh ride slash marshmallow world and, you know, sing Karen Carpenter's beautiful sing. Um, you know, of course, I got to to pay homage to what I believe. You know, with what child is this? And but he wrote a beautiful song called "Home on Christmas Day." And I always think about, you know, I have family in military and people that don't get to be home on Christmas Day and what that means. And that that song that he wrote was so beautiful. And uh, yeah, and then, of course, the title track, A Lovely Way to Spend Christmas. I have to say, again, with the way we've been having to deal with Christmas and gathering, people ask me this year what I want. And what I want is to be with people that I love and to be able to hug them safely and tell them, look them in the eye, not through a Zoom, but in their eye and say, I love you. It's... um. It's the small things that are so that have become so big to me now. Let's get away from slavers. Let's get away from snow. Let's make a break some Christmas dear. I know the place to go. How'd you like to spend Christmas on Christmas Island? You like One of the things I was thinking while I was listening to, uh, to A Lovely Way to Spend Christmas was how these versions struck me as theatrical. It's like they were moments from a story. And I was trying to decide if that was something in the songs themselves, something in you, or just in my head because I was aware of your career. Where do you come down on that? Well, I think, you know, on both, but between you and me and everybody listening, 
hard without having a story. I just don't, I honestly don't, I, I know I'm, I'm growing with the times and I understand that you can release a single or two and you don't have to release an album. You don't, you know, I could put it out myself and call it a day, but I always look for a story, even if it seems winding and like, wait, how did she go from there to there? But because of theater and because I'm a storyteller, I'm always going to have at least, at the very least, a reason as to why I'm singing a song. Otherwise, th- there's no point. I mean, do you find yourself sort of connecting to and thinking about the person singing the song in each of these cases and sort of and approaching them as somebody expressing a thought? Yeah, always. I mean... I started on that record with I'll Be Home for Christmas because I think that year I couldn't be. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to be. No, these are big for artists and musicians. The holidays are, you know, when we actually, um, pardon the expression, but we get, you know, we get paid for what we do. And and that, that's, that means sacrifice yeah. of being at home. So I started there and then I went to Christmas Island because where do we all want to go for Christmas? You know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't love to be cold. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I went immediately to Hawaii and then the, the interesting place of then going to a waltz, um, you know, I was very careful with Christmas Island going into Christmas waltz because anytime there's a waltz, I think of, you know, (laughs) you know, I know it sounds silly, but the, Sound of Music when Captain Von Trapp and Maria Von Trapp start dancing. Ah, 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 you know, ah. and then do you hear what I hear? Are you aware of the way I hear it? And no judgment, only love here, but it's a story. And it's a it's a wonderful story. It's not sad. It's a great story of somebody um that went so far away with Mary and and her journey to have this child. And did you hear that a king was born? And what a wonderful world that is, which it goes right into. Um, Obviously, Karen Carpenter was a huge influence on my singing life. And I'm proud to say I can now sing in her keys. I don't know (laughs) (laughs) how how as a soprano I should feel about that. But um, I remember being in the third grade and hearing Karen Carpenter sing this song. And then it made me happy. Yeah. And I don't know. It just, you know, you can see how my mind works. So, sure. yeah. Yeah. I'm always going to go into a story and or a reason. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you about Karen Carpenter because you also sing Merry Christmas, Darling, on your new Christmas album, Happiness Is. And, and I was thinking while I was listening to it that one of the things I really appreciated in your version is that you capture the kind of lonely emotional ride that the lyrics lay out and you know it is so easy when you hear it just to kind of catch the warmth of her voice and to ride that and the merry christmas darling phrase and to kind of miss just you know how much sadness and melancholy there is in it um what what were you thinking when you when you listened to that song and when you were thinking about those lyrics I was thinking about, again, that word sacrifice and how I don't always get to be, but of course I chose this, right? And I love what I do, but 
in her voice, and I'm speaking technically now, I love singing soprano. I was trained that way. There is a sense, though, of a carefree, careless uh, feeling when you're singing soprano, even though it's very difficult. When it gets down into the keys that we're talking about, Karen, especially with her voice, had the, I call the lean-in factor. You leaned in and... Uh, I wanted to have that factor so hard when I did this song. So how do I do that? I have to sing in her key A because it has the lean in factor. But B, maybe there's a different time signature for me. There's a different rhythm. And so we switched up the rhythm, um, which you can hear most definitely in the track. And still paying homage to hers, though. And uh, remembering that, you know, for two years, haven't been able to be with family. And I don't, I don't really, I don't want to be on here being sad. I want to be on here being grateful and feeling blessed. Mm -hmm. But the truth is a fact that, you know, you know, we're Christmasing. I'm not Christmasing you. So I send you love from afar. And, um, I wanted us to remember that, but I was glad to get to do it in her key. I was very <laughs> glad. Greeting cards, they've all been sent. The Christmas rush is through. But I still have one wish to make. Special one for you. Merry Christmas, darling. We're apart, that's true. But I can dream. Now, you start with the song, with the song Happiness is. Um, which you also, which you medley with Christmas time is here, both from Peanuts. Um, yes. And that, uh, and, and one from You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, one from uh, obviously movies, Charlie Brown Christmas. Yes. So f- why those choices? And also, and why those choices? Well, first of all, I grew up with the Peanuts like most of us did. Charles Schultz's work is, you know, Americana at its best. Number two, that's huge history for me. In, in 1999, I won a Tony for playing Sally in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. And I sang Happinesses every night on Broadway. And I wanted to include um, both songs, but I didn't know how to... I wanted them to be together. And it was Jay and Freddie who came up with actually how it was would come to be together. And it was Jay who said, let me take a stab at the lyrics for Christmas. And we of course went to Clark Gesner's estate and Schultz's estate. And they said, you know, it's, it's Kristen, of course, you know, of course. So he, it was he that rewrote those lyrics. And it's so funny because I sang it eight times a week, not as a Christmas song. <laughs> Happiness is finding a pencil, you know, all of these things that have nothing to do with Christmas. And then here I am singing happiness is building a snowman, you know, uh, all of all just the differences. And, and Kristen, please don't mess it up live when you're singing <laughs> in concert. 
But I think it's genius how Freddie put the kids in there, you know, in the beginning of just makes us, it brings us all back. I don't care who you are. It brings us all back to a time of growing up and looking forward to Linus and Lucy and Charlie Brown and Sally and their travails yeah. of Christmas and with a teacher and what are they going to get what they like, you know? <laughs> you know, one of the, that the one record in the three years I've been doing this that more guests end up swinging back to is the Charlie Brown Christmas and Christmas time is here. And I wonder if you as a singer can tell me or give me some insight into that song or Vince Guaraldi and that composition. Sure. I mean, Vince is, let's not forget jazz, which I'm, I'm a little jazz bird. So it makes sense that I would gravitate toward him anyway, you know, never mind Charlie <laughs> Brown, just anyway, but he had a sound. His sound is Charlie Brown. And I'm sure that, you know, for me, sometimes I, I want to say, I'm not just Glinda. I'm not just Charlie Brown. I'm so many other things, but the truth is these are things that are attached to me and I'm very proud of it. And Vince, if I could say to him, be proud that this is a sound that's attached to you. It's not just of a time, but it is the time. And so I dare anyone to listen and not get a little bit either emotional or take them taking back to a time of growing up. Um, but as a, as a musician, let's not forget I'm just going to say jazz, man. <laughs> uh, there's nothing better. Yeah. You can't, you can't, you can't beat it. And I think that's why, you know, honestly, two records ago, I, I, when I did Artist of Elegance, I said, this is a jazz record. You know, I don't care what anybody says. This is a jazz album. And I, I love, I love it so much that sometimes you don't even need, here's jazz. Yeah. You don't need to try. It yeah. just is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you went to that place because it's one of the things I think is really interesting about that is to realize that that song and that, that soundtrack introduced so many children to jazz. That was so it many, sure did. Yeah. It, it, me. And in fact, you know, me. And then growing up and wanting to find out other jazz singers, Ella, and of course my favorite, Blossom Deary, you know, I, I found out, like, who are the, why am I gravitating? And you can always take it back to Vince. You can always take it back to that. And, you know, it, it's not absolutely insane when you look at my body of work that so many times people have said, you're just a jazz bird. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm a legit opera soprano. And, oh, wait, no, no, wait a second. First of all, you can be both. You don't have to be just one thing. But that is really me. times with the whole family 
I, I think I hear a little country in your vocal <laughs> on why couldn't it be Christmas every day? And there are moments in there where I where it sounds like you where your phrasing reminds me a little of Dolly Parton. <laughs> well, there's no, there's no accident there because <laughs> Dolly was a massive influence on me growing up. And it's a little known story. I auditioned for a, a kids talent show in Oklahoma called Oklahoma Kids. Nobody knows about it. Um, but I came in there and the, the guy that ran it, it was Mr. Dale. That's all I know his name is Mr. <laughs> Dale. He said, you know who you're like? You're like Dolly Parton. And huh. I thought, no, really? And then I realized, of course, that's all I listened to. So, it, you know, she's in everything. She's in, I mean, to steal from Carol King, she's in my tapestry. Yeah. Whether, whether I mean for it to be or not, it just is. And so, when you when you listen to my my influences, you know Linda Ronstadt, Dolly Parton, Sandy Patty, they're all in there. Yeah, they're all in there. And somebody said that even the cover, the album cover, I didn't even mean for it to. I, it's like at first glance you think it's her, and I'm like, no, I just I wanted to be surrounded by light so that we can remember there's the light at the end of the tunnel and that we're getting there. But I'm laughing so hard in this moment at something my boy my my fiance was saying I can't even recall and that's the shot ah, and there's ah, my head ah, leaning ah, back ah. and everybody says it looks like Dolly and I'm like that's a compliment I didn't even mean for it to but <laughs> so for, for me the most surprising song on the record is uh Merry Christmas Baby yeah your duet with Keb Mo. <laughs> yeah. What what made you decide to do a blues again because I have an older brother who's almost five years older than me so what was he listening to, right? Well, he was listening to country rock, country. He was listening to Keb Mo. And so <laughs> Keb Mo, you know, I wanted to do, and James Brown, I mean, <laughs> sounds so funny to say, right? Little girl in Oklahoma, but it actually makes sense when you think about it. So I always wanted to do a blues number. Um, again, something in my DNA that not a lot of people know about, I daren't think he would say yes, but he did. And the best part about this story is that Keb Mo came into my, my recording room. We both had on our masks and we both had, we're taking risks, you know, by being in the same room, but he came in there and he said, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, a lesson because you can handle it. You actually have it in you. And it was Keb Mo that, for two hours, mentored me. Wow. And he said, you know, you're like so many people. If Peggy Lee were to sing the blues, how would she do it? That was Keb Moe. And that's how we arrived at that track. And I was very nervous. I want to tell you, I was very nervous. I didn't think, first of all, I didn't think I deserved him. But secondly, it was he that said, I, you've got this and you actually can do this and actually you should do more of it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, I see a, a future there with Keb Mo and I, again, um, in the jazz arena and even Broadway arena for him. I think that we are great mentors for each other. I, you know, I would never say, Oh, I could teach him something, but you know, I think, I think, the blues, country, and Broadway all have something to, in common. That's where we tell the story. Right. Yeah, we tell the sense. story. 
And he just said, he told me again about, you know, got to try. You have it. I'm like, but wait, but wait. He said, just lean back, Kristen, lean back. So (laughs) he was a great teacher for me. Merry Christmas, baby. You sure do treat me nice. Oh, I said, Merry Christmas, baby. Sure do treat me nice. Oh, you bought me that diamond ring for Christmas. Now I'm living in paradise. The one Christmas standard on the album is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. Yes. So, so first, why so few standards? Oh, because I'm me. (laughs) There's so many songs left to sing, sir. There's so many songs left to sing. And when I look at, um, especially, you know, uh, to me, Merry Christmas, Darling is, is a standard. But, you know, when I have young fans come up to me and say, you know, wow, did you write that? (laughs) (laughs) After I want to stab myself, I I say, well, these are um, standards for me. Yeah. Uh, Christmas Lullaby was written by my friend Anne Hampton Calloway. We Are Lights, Stephen Schwartz. I said, I need a song about lights. I need a light. I need light. I don't know why. And he goes, I have a song. It didn't get its due. I'm sending it to you. And I would like for these songs to now become... um, Standards. When you listen to My Dear Acquaintance, of course, it's not really necessarily a Christmas song. It's a holiday song. It's really a New Year's Eve song. But Peggy Lee was obviously another influence on on me as an actress and singer and at a time when women weren't taken seriously as composers in a song that she wrote and uh, happens to be, we're not supposed to have our favorite children, but that's my personal favorite because I don't know the sentiment of it, right? the lyric of it. For those who are gathered here, we, we raise a glass. And for those who are not, we raise a glass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, one of the things I, w- I was interested in was the original, original song is really bleak. And even <laughs> with the revised lyrics, it steers hard, pretty hard into the melancholy, but you find a way to get away from that. First, first why be, and how? It had to be the groove. Um, I, I fought it so hard because I, I wanted to go back to Frank and all the people that we know. And I listened to everybody's version, everybody's. Um, and then I thought, you know what? Take it back to church. Ah. Take it back to church. And mind you, there's not there's not one word of God or Jesus in there, but just take it back to the groove and you know, let's try to make this joyful. And that's what I did. So the phrase take it back to church was in my mind the entire time as I sung it. And honestly, to be honest with you, I didn't even want to do it because I thought of that what the reasons that you're saying. Um, but when I found that phrase inside my head. I think we did it twice. I said, Jay, that's it. <laughs> Took it back to church. 
that's what you get. Otherwise, I'm going to want to go back with a full orchestra. I'm going to want to go back and slow it down. I'm going to want to go back. And that's it. That's, that's what I got for that song. When I told people I was interviewing country singer Ronnie Millsap, a few responded, The Voice. Millsap wasn't necessarily part of the urban cowboy movement in the mid-80s, but he benefited from the more mainstream attention that accompanied it and had his biggest years in the mid-80s to late-80s. In 1986, he released Christmas with Ronnie Millsap, which is a charming Christmas album that was recently reissued. There are moments when I think you can hear the record company calculation, including We're Here to Love, which sounds like a bid for a single, even though there's little to nothing Christmassy about it. But there are also moments that could only happen on a Christmas album, like Ronnie's Thoughts, a spoken word piece that we discuss. I was glad to get to do this one because it gives us a look inside the way Nashville works, which is something I always find fascinating. This is Ronnie Millsap on 12 Songs. City sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style. In the air there's a feeling of Christmas. Children laughing, people passing, meeting smile after smile. And on every street corner you You released, you released Christmas with Ronnie Millsap in 1986, and that was, I gather, a pretty busy time for you. Can you help my listeners appreciate just what all was going on in your life in 1986? Oh, it was good. We got uh, David Clydesdale to do the orchestration on this album. My wife and I thought that was excellent. So at the point when you... So you brought him in, and but this was a really that you're as a recording artist, you were really hitting at this point. Is that right? I was, sure was, number one after number one. <laughs> you know, this may seem like a really obvious question, but as somebody who's you know who's a writer, what does it feel like to have a point where if you release a record, it's going to be a hit? You get to that point, and you keep wishing and hoping, and be careful about what you record, because RCA over there with Jogalati, they might turn it down or they might put it out. Who knows? Right. Now, now when you released the album, it followed a string of records that all went top ten, if not top five including, and the album immediately before it, was Lost in the 50s Tonight, and that went number one. With all these, all these successes, why do a Christmas album at that time? Because my wife and I talked about it. 
I asked Joe Galati, would a Christmas album be okay with him? He said, let's do it. Oh, that's great. So why did you and your wife think this was the time? Well, I never had a Christmas album. Right. And a lot of people, a lot of other people had released Christmas material, but I had not. And I wound up having some real good help on this album. I remember Bill Schnee was down at my studio downtown in Nashville, and he was mixing on I'll Be Home for Christmas. And he made me sound better than I ever thought I could. <laughs> great mixer, great engineer. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. that when you went to record it were was this the whole band together or did the band record and then you go in and sing your vocal I remember going in RCA Studio A which is a real good studio and I cut several songs there and the arranger from all this arranged the the background vocals was a gentleman named Bergen White. Bergen White is probably the best musician in Nashville. Wow. I remember when we were four Silver Bells, and he had the front looking like kind of like Mr. Sandman. I mean, it was so cool. Were you somebody, what was your, what were your experiences with Christmas music growing up? Were you somebody who loved Christmas music? Well, yeah, I sure do. I had a little bit of uh, halt in my feeling about Christmas. I went home in the Christmas of 1959 and my grandmother died. Oh, sorry to hear and that. She was like my mother. She was someone who was really good to me. And then she died. Seems like all the they die young, don't they, Alex? That's that's too that's absolutely true. So how did how did that affect your relationship to Christmas? It kind of put a little bit of a damper on it. But I thought singing these songs, I remember I must have cut I'll Be Home for Christmas at the castle down in Franklin, Donnie. Is that it? Uh, yeah. And, you know, just singing those songs, I got to really caught up in what Christmas really used to mean to me. 
Of course, I went to school at the North Carolina School for the Blind. Right. They they had real good uh, Christmas uh, celebrations at the school. They were great. Can you tell me about them? What did y'all do? Well, we would draw names and get each other presents. And that was fine. I remember that year I I got Janice Fan. I got her name. I got her a present for Christmas, and it was great. Wow! I remember Alex <laughs> going down on on a Sunday morning and singing "Oh Holy Night," and I got it on the damn first take. <laughs> I'd always wanted to sing that song when I was in school, and I was in there actually singing it on my own record. I thought, man, this is about as cool as it'll ever be. So Christmas started getting happier and happier for me. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth A thrill of hope Right. Then there was a lady that wrote some... Uh, of words and I put it into a thing called Christmas Thoughts. Mm -hmm. Christmas Thoughts on that tells about how it all is. You know, this the shopping's all done and I'm here with Joycey, my wife, and we're just trying to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Sure. Did she talk to you before she started writing that? Naomi, she did not. Oh, really? I saw, I saw it and had it brailed out, and I thought, let's do it. Put Silent Night behind it and let me talk over it. And it was perfect. I've never really been that good at trying to say how I feel. I'm a singer. I've always been able to express myself better with a song. But there are a few things that I'd like to try to say to you this evening. Some Christmas thoughts. I'm sitting here by the fire now, and there's not much left to do. The turkey's in the oven, and the shopping's all through. Except for the strains of silent night, the house is quiet and still. I've just been. The thing that knocked me about this album, too, is we had the uh, Powell children from uh, Macon, Georgia. They were on the cover of this album. And with Concord, they have my artwork and they have my record. So I look forward to coming out this year. And I'll do some Christmas shows and we'll get down to it. Okay, Alex? <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah. one of the um, so one of the things I, I, I want to go back for a second on uh, Christmas thoughts, because that when you told me that uh, that someone else wrote it, that surprises me because it sounded so natural and it sounded 
just like something you had to tell me at that moment. You had to tell the listeners. Exactly. That's why I did that. Yeah. Because I knew the words were exactly what was in my heart already about Christmas. And I thought, with all those good engineers in the control room, they're going to catch it. And they did. Right. But did, did she talk that? How did she know to sort of what to write for you? That was it. Was she just well, that smart or? He had written a big song for me years ago called Let's Take the Long Way Around the World. Ah. Then Archie Jordan put the music to that, and I cut it. It was a number one record. So I knew Naomi, whatever she was writing, it was going to be very close to my heart. Right. So um, you finished the album with We're Here to Love, which doesn't well, sound as much like it's much like a Christmas song as sort of as the rest of it. And I wondered why that was put on on that album. Well, I love the song written by Mike Reed and Mike Reed has written so many big records for me. He's written some really great songs and he had, we're here to love. And he said in my little room, we all live on a little ball, standing somewhere in space. He sang it at the piano, and I said, God, I've got to cut that. So I found an intro, and the guys in the control room, Kyle Linning, my friend, was in there, and he said, that intro is, is, is right. Because I do it on the piano, then I double it. You put that in the stereo spectrum, and it, it is so great. Then at the end of the song, I had everybody in the building come in the studio and sing, We're here to love, Lord, all the power. We're here to love. And they were so good. And I thought, the ghetto, the holy land, I thought that song was just perfect for what I was trying to make on this album. Right. We all live on a little ball Spinning somewhere in space A tiny dot in the universe Reserved for the human race And as our planet obeys the laws Gravity, nature, and time We must look to the heart To find our part That we play in the grand design Oh, we've all got the power Was there a hope that that song might also become a single that might last past the holidays? Well, I would hope it would, but I'd already cut the single. I knew that Thomas King cut the had the song. He was singing the town the hall. The snow is on the ground, the family's all in town. It's Christmas. The children wanna know why we hung the mistletoe. It's Christmas. And I said, Hey, 
Thomas, you put that down for me on a piece of tape, and I'm going to study it and learn it. So I cut that song at Woodland. Right. That studio, recording studio, I cut it there, turned it in, and that thing gets played every year at Christmas time. That's got to be a great feeling to have a song that's become part of everybody's sort of Christmas traditions. Oh, I wish I could have written one, Alex. <laughs> If I could have written uh, White Christmas or something, that would have been really good. But I'm more of a song. I'm more of a a singer that wants to look at the meaning of the song. And I'm not really that much of a songwriter, not yet. Right. Not I still want to do that, so I will. The snow is on the ground The family's all in town It's Christmas It's Christmas The children want to know Why we hung the mistletoe It's Christmas Finally, Paul Gilbert made his name as the guitarist with rock band Mr. Big. And now he has a significant online presence, particularly on YouTube, where you can see him shred. This year, he released a Christmas album, Twas. And when we talked, he was in the studio he uses to give lessons online. That meant that he could also play, and did, periodically while we talked. Unfortunately, we didn't get as much time to talk as I would have liked because we ran into a tech issue. But I found our conversation very interesting nonetheless. Let's hear a little from Twas... And then we'll be back with Paul Gilbert. I do a Christmas project now. You've been you've been at this is what your seventeenth album. Or- so it's, it's a bunch of them, and I would say a, a few years ago I really got tired of Christmas music. I remember you know that's the season was rolling around and I was walking around the mall or something, and you know the music comes on, and I just thought you know I'm, I'm in my fifties now. I've heard enough of these. That that's it. We need we need something new. And so, in a way, my my goal was to rekindle at least a toleration yeah. <laughs> of, <laughs> of Christmas music. And you know, if maybe if I get lucky, I'll actually like the stuff. Right. And but seriously, one of the one of the things was um, was just playing. It's a great way to get melodies across. And melodies is, has been a big challenge for me as a guitar player. That's not what I grew up with. I grew up with you know playing accompaniment for a singer. They're doing the melody. That's their job. And I'm backing them up, I'm playing some rhythm. Right. And then when it's when it's right. my time to solo, do I play a melody? No. I, you know, then I, then I like you know try to make the notes explode. You know, mm-hmm. sure. Or do something crazy. Yeah, right. So 
So I never got into melody. I was just thought, you know, get a singer and they'll do that. And then more recently, the last couple of albums, I've been I've been actually, you know, taking the risk and and trying some melodies on guitar and really enjoying it. And uh, so I had the idea, and, and and luckily I had it early enough. You know, I think, uh, this is around May of this year, and I thought, well, I mean, I can do a Christmas album, have it, you know, get it done by then. And the thing that was fun was, I, I you know, I started researching and listening to all these. Christmas songs and again it was all the music is in my head and it was by then it was the summer so I'm like walking around in the heat wave and and it's you know and in my head I'm going let it snow let it snow let it snow (laughs) (laughs) and it it was it was wonderful wonderful feeling you know realizing that nobody else has that song in their head right now but but I do and boy am I digging it you know and so it, it made me kind of like the music again in kind of a rebellious way. And then it was the, the challenge of, of, of performing it in such a way, you know, having, uh, making the simple songs more sophisticated and getting the sophisticated songs without messing them up and, and just playing, you know, playing some good guitar and putting a good band together. Yeah. When you went to record, there's, I mean, obviously you were, did you record in summertime? Uh, we recorded yeah in uh, in August. The, the record company actually was like, "Can you get it done by July?" And th- that was a little tight, so I, I convinced them, you know, to hold off till August. Um, and uh, the, the drummer had a recording studio, so we 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 all went over to the drummer's house. Jimmy Bott is his name, and uh, we did one rehearsal with with the whole band just to make sure that it worked because uh, I hadn't played with Jimmy before. Uh, I jammed with with um, with Dan, the guitar player, Dan Balmer, but we hadn't um, we hadn't really done like a full song, just sort of you know fun jam. And uh, I played with Tim, the bass player. He toured with me before, and then uh, Clay, I'd, I'd done one session with, but we hadn't you know most of us hadn't really spent a lot of time together, so we wanted, just wanted to make sure it worked. So we did we did uh, ran through Winter Wonderland, and and it, it's. It worked good enough. I mean, I, I, I'd say, you know, we're sort of getting our getting used to each other. But what I liked about it was that stylistically, the guys were different from me. And I really need I needed that. That was important because I, I, I didn't I wanted to get the songs right. Like the song, like the Christmas song, you know, it's not roasting on an open fire. It's It's got jazz chords in it. That's just the way the song is written. And I have enough musical knowledge where, you know, I can I can probably get it. But I kind of want the I, I want some professionals to be around to make sure I get it right. You know, I, I want I want their sophisticated ear to put the stamp of approval on it and and, and make sure that I'm not you know doing anything I shouldn't be doing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so to have the you know the board of directors to to to, to make sure it's a, to give it the okay, and uh, I would I would also have them help me with the charts. You know, because I, I I never even used charts before. Talking about uh, just you know doing the doing the album in the summertime, walking yeah. down the street, singing Wonder Wonderland, right? And 
let's see what what else interesting in the record well what? just just forming a band with with a couple jazz musicians and a couple blues musicians and then i can do my rock and roll thing on top and that ended up being a really good combination i'm i'm, I'm I'm happy with that that choice because the, the the blues guys had the, had the right feel. The jazz guys had the sophisticated chords that I probably couldn't have figured out on my own, and uh, and, and they were nice enough to let me you know <laughs> play with the Makita <laughs> power drill on top of the whole thing. <laughs> so, did you need to, uh, or did you choose to do things like put in Christmas lights or a Christmas tree to help make it more Christmassy, or? <laughs> We we did actually. Oh, I, wow. I ordered. There's well, we 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 did video of the of the whole recording session. So I've got I've got actually, um, you know, twelve videos, one for every song that'll you know hope to release at some point. So you can you can see us recorded in the studio. But uh, yeah, we set up lights and 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 uh, I, I got a couple um, wooden reindeer that I put around, ah. and I, I made sure to play gu guitar guitars that were only green, red, and white. Nice touch. Ah, ah, and 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 I assume even if you just chose your green, red, and white guitars, you still had a number to choose from. <laughs> still had a what? A number to choose from. You, I, I, how many guitars do you have? I don't. I don't know. I, I would say in the neighborhood of seventy. Wow. How many? How many of them do you actually play? I. I I feel like well, they they have to match the the hat, and and, that, and, and that, that's like a, a lot of it is is the visual part of it, because I, I do so much video. Since I have an online guitar school, I I average five videos a day. Uh, I mean, actually, I, I do them in 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 you know, if, if I do a session of making videos, I usually do about fifteen videos in a session, but then I, I spread them out five a day over the year. And that's that's over a thousand videos a year, and that's a, a lot of camera time. And so, it's you know not not that my job is is to, you know, be a, a sparkly visual performer, but you know, I, I'm, people are looking at me, so sure. <laughs> I want to have some variety or something to, to look at that they don't get bored. And me too, because I got to look at myself in the, in the monitor. So I, I, that that's actually a big part of it. It's just like, okay, well, today I've got my brown hat, so let me get a brown guitar. Uh, it, just, uh, it just sort of gives uh, me another uh, another element to keep people interested, whether they know it or not. You right. Because you know, at my, at, at my school, people come to learn music. You know, that's a, that's something you do with your ears. But if you're, as long as I'm on camera, I might as well you know have have something interesting. Sure. So. Was there a track that kind of like you, as, as when that was the kind of the test for the concept, something that you had to be, be able to play and nail to feel like this was an idea that was going to work? Oh, for what to work? Was there an idea, was there a song that you needed to sort of to nail sort of at the beginning to feel like, this album would work if you could get this one right. This oh, right. album as a concept would work. I, I think um, a, a lot of it had to do with, with getting the chords right. Uh, you know, and that, that has nothing to do with my guitar playing because I'm playing the melody on top. But uh, I, I really, I'm opinionated about that stuff. Like to, to me, the 
you know, it's not just it's not just what I'm playing. It's 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 the whole picture. And, you know, that's why I get to put the, the producer credit. You know, that, that's why I get to be that person because I'm, I'm, I'm as much as the guitar. I'm thinking about what's the drum groove, what's the bass doing. And, uh, and but at the same time, I, I also don't want to micromanage because I've, I've done that before. You know, I've done records where I, I give everybody their parts. And the thing I've learned over the years is if, if you get good musicians, which I've been fortunate to pretty much always do, you don't have to micromanage. You just you just give them you know a general direction, and they'll do it. And they'll, and they'll probably do it better than I than I would have done if I if I had had my fingers all over it. So, you know, for for a lot of these songs, I, I really loved the 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 like the kind of older orchestral uh, arrangements, like the, the the Nat King Cole record, uh, the Barbara Streisand record. And these aren't rock things at all, but the the chords are so beautiful, and, and the arrangements were incredible. And uh, and so that was really nice to go through that with a couple with a couple cats that that really know their stuff in terms of chords, and going like, okay, how can we get this orchestra on onto into on, into a five piece band? Right. You know, you know, the keyboard player's got two hands. We got jazz guitar player. I'm playing the melody. How, how can we get Nat King Cole's whole orchestra squeezed into in, into the tools that we have? Right. And uh, you know the the, the the texture might be different, but I, I swear, you know, listen to um, to Nat King Cole's uh, "Hark the Herald Angels Sing," and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm copying it. You know, cool. And it has a different flavor because I'm playing electric guitar and we're using different sounds. But you know, in, in terms of like the, the harmony and and a lot of the, the stuff that was, you know, you have to be pretty, you know, you have to be a smart to know that stuff. You know, and and I I needed help to be that smart. So, but. <laughs> But at the same time, I, I know when it's right, you know, and 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 that that was the that's what I wanted, you know. I, I wanted to be able to, I wanted to be better and smarter than I am, and still be, <laughs> right, and still be in the band. One thing you did that I have not heard before, and so I have to ask you how you did it, was there the changes you made to uh, the start, the first pass through uh, Frosty the Snowman, to make it more theatrical, more melodramatic, sort of to make it like the Sweeney Todd version of, uh, <laughs> of Frosty. Um, I'd never heard it move that direction, and I, I so and I can't think of how you did that. So. Can you walk me through the process on that one? Yeah. Well, like the, like the previous thing I was talking about, there's already this existing beautiful orchestral thing that I wanted to, to try to get. With Frosty, it was kind of the opposite, where, you know, your typical Frosty the Snowman, I mean, I, the, the version I found that I loved was Loretta Lynn. I thought she did a great Frosty the Snowman. And it's just your standard, you know, basic chords, really, you know, 
by the book Frosty done great. But, you know, she did that. So I, I, I kind of, I, I wanted to do something totally different because I, I thought, you know, that's, it's sort of too, it needs something else. I need to put something, I don't know what it is. So I just started experimenting. Like I, I did the minor key version where, you know, because Frosty's in a major key, was it, uh, it's in G, I think. I went, uh, so that, yeah, that's the melody. But I thought, well, what would happen if I make it minor? And it really like emphasized the minor notes. And so that, that, that I kind of liked it, but then I, I didn't want the whole song, like it felt like, oh, it's too much. Like I have a little bit of that. And then I thought, well, then let's go back to major. But then I thought, ah, oh, it's still like too predictable. So then I made it 7-8, you know, so instead of, you know, or whether, you know, You know, instead of that, it was like more like like Tom Sawyer by Rush. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> what was it? I gotta get the notes right. One, two, da, da, da. whatever. You know, I gotta rehearse it, but, but that was a, a seven eight version. And then you know, then I started to get tired of that. So, you know, the next thing was to make like a stomp and blues. You know, and then, and then to, to harmonically to shape the melody into more of a, you know. You know and, and, to, and to, you know, keep enough of the melody in there where it's still recognizable, but also have enough, you know, blues in there where it's got some teeth. And uh, when, when I came up with that arrangement, I thought, like, there's no way we're going to get this in one take because there's just too many <laughs> twists and turns. And and we did. That was that, that's, wow. that's one of the songs where one take, no fixes. We were all kind of looking at each other at the end of it going, like, I think we got it. You know, <laughs> I, I actually, like, b before we played it, I told the band, I said, we, we can do this in sections, then we can edit together later. Like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, tax your brain too much. But... Everybody nailed it. It was, it was a killer. How often did that happen on this record? I'd say about a third to a half of it. We 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 just got it, you know, one one take perfect. Um, other other stuff, you know, maybe one third of it was like that. Other third is like almost, <laughs> but but maybe you know I had to take like two or three takes and put them together. And then the other third is stuff where I really had to chop it up because I you know just I just hadn't come prepared enough and had you know. Had, it, I, I never, I didn't do like a lot of overdubs fixing stuff because I wanted the live feel. And, and plus, when you, when you play it live, you kind of immediately can, you can tell if it's good or not. When you overdub, you're sort of like, you never really know because, because you know, because you haven't got it there yet. But when you play it with a band, it's like, okay, I, I know we did enough takes and, and, and the good stuff is there. I just got to go through and, you know, use the chorus from take four and the verse from take two and, you know, 
That's and that actually even before computers, that's that's how bands like the Beatles would would record. Sure. You know, and the, and the producer just keep a notepad. Okay, you know, take seven had a, had a great bridge, and you know, and you and with with a tape machine, you could actually splice that together. And that's I still like to edit like that. If 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 you have to edit it, I'd, I'd rather do it like that, where it's full band takes, everybody's playing live, and and you're and the, the pieces that you're working with are good pieces. You know, nothing really needs to be fixed. You just need to assemble the good pieces and glue them together, and that, that tends to be pretty smooth. Right. What's one that you had to assemble? I would say, I mean, I, I remember um, uh, what was the one, uh, the, the first single that I released, the, uh, yeah, the heart. I, I had to do a lot of work on the first verse. I think because it was, it was, it was, it was, it was slide and, and just my tuning wasn't perfect. Like I'd, I'd, I'd get, you know, I'd, I'd get like a line and it would be great, but then the next line would be a little flat. And, and so uh, I was just working it out. So I just went through and found the, the, the lines that were in tune and put those together. And it seemed like once I got past the first verse, it, it, it was smooth sailing. Uh, you know, the, the solo was good. I, if anything, I had to shorten the solo because it just went too long. Right. And I, I didn't want to inflict, I just didn't want to inflict the audience with that much soloing. So, uh, so I cut that down a bit. And last verse, one take. So it, it was, it was like, you know, a, a lot of editing, a little editing, and no editing. You know, as as the song as the song progressed. One of the things I was thinking as listening to the album was, you know, in a number of cases, not just Frosty, you end up taking sort of taking these familiar familiar melodies and dropping them into two to three, sometimes four sort of different musical contexts or frameworks. Uh, why take why take that approach why not for instance just sort of give us sort of two two and a half minutes of uh, spooky melodramatic frosty or you know however you're approaching them well i'm trying to keep myself interested and whenever the um whenever the backing you know ends up being just like straight major chords there's not anything like harmonically sophisticated going on like like rudolph's probably the other one uh, where it's, you know, I think I did that in G too. And, and Rudolph, I mean, songs like that can be great punk songs because you, you know, you can just go, uh, you know, yeah. you sort of blast out and they, they work like that. But, uh, but I, I, I guess if, if I can't find something that's interesting to me with the harmony, you know, like the chords behind it, then I, I start looking other places. Like, I, like, I started looking at the rhythm. So for that one, I came up with a real syncopated, like funk reggae kind of. And it was, I was actually, that was hard for the band to, to, to play. They were, it was a little tricky to, to get that together, but we, but we, we got it and it was stomping. And, uh, you know, and then it has this fusion line. I, I, I took the, the part, you know, where it's, uh, was it? With a dasher and dancer and prancer and vixen, you know, that, that intro. And those chords, and I changed that to arpeggio. I was like, so instead of going, and then I turned that into like this crazy arpeggio thing. With, uh, I forget what the exact line was. But it's you know it's it's inspired by the by the real form of the song. Sure. But then I I, I turn it into something you know just try to 
keep myself from from getting bored and and keep the listener kind of guessing and 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 balancing it you know you know you don't want to have it to be total you know weird chaos you know so you keep them connected but you also at the same time have some surprises Was there a song that it just seemed like it either you either couldn't find you couldn't crack it that or it seemed resistant to the directions you wanted to go and you kind of had to say that one's not for me this time? <laughs> I, I would say the, the one that I, I, I right away I dropped it was uh, Sleigh Ride, which I love. Sleigh Ride, you know, and the reason I dropped it was I, I heard the Ventures version. And I, there's no way I could top it. The Ventures version is so cool. And I was like, you know, what am I going to do? I'm only going to do that worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and because they, they, they sound so cool doing that. So I, that, that was one that initially, that was one of the first ones I thought of doing. And then I heard, heard there, like, no, yeah. they, 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 they're the winners. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't want a silver medal on that one. Thanks to Kristen, Ronnie, and Paul for the time and the talk. If you've got feedback, you can leave it on the 12 Songs Facebook page, or I've set up a new Facebook group, Christmas Music 365, where people can share their favorite Christmas music, including Christmas music they made. So far, most of the Facebook groups I've seen discourage self-promotion. But if you've got Christmas music, I'd love to hear about it, and therefore I want to give you a place to show it off. If you need Christmas music for the season, you can still get a download of my listeners-only Christmas mix by emailing me at alex at myspiltmilk.com. You can also go to Spotify and search for 12 Songs of Christmas Radio, which is 23 and a half hours of Christmas favorites and songs I think should be Christmas favorites. Today I was driving and heard Sinatra, John Legend, Sax Honker, Gene Ammons, Wynton Marsalis, The Whispers, and Phoebe Bridgers which is a pretty cool, unpredictable mix. If you haven't already done so, please do what you have to do to get 12 songs in your podcast feed. You can find us at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Pandora, and Spotify. Follow, like, subscribe, do whatever you have to do, because all of that helps to make the algorithms work in our favor. In late spring, I interviewed Tim DeLauder of the Polyphonic Spree about their Christmas album, Holiday Dream. And during the conversation, he announced that they would resume their annual holiday spectacular this year in Dallas. It takes place on Saturday, December 18th, and for the first time, my family and I will make the trip for the show. The last time I looked, there were still some tickets available, so if a psychedelic, symphonic excess is your thing like it is mine, you might want to look into it. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes, and we'll close today with a track from Holiday Dream. This is The Christmas Song. 
Talk to you next week. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping on your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by a choir. And folks dressed up like Eskimos.